Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing The Exorcist. The Exorcist was written by William Peter Blatty and published in 1971. And the film adaptation, which was directed by William Friedkin, came out in 1973. Yep. And William Peter Blatty also wrote the screenplay for the movie. Yeah, yeah. He uh, uh, was doing double duty this time around, Mm -hmm. which makes sense because this is a very uh, faithful adaptation. It is extremely faithful. In a lot of ways. Yes. But also maybe uh, to its disadvantage. I think possibly. Which we'll discuss in a bit. Yes. But first, let's discuss demonic horror as a genre. Yes. Interesting. Hmm. (laughs) Quite. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So this is the second, our second round of horror which is exciting. Yeah, uh, we just did Pet Cemetery mm-hmm. by Stephen King, which is our previous episode. So if you're into horror, if this is your kind of thing, yeah, check that episode out. Mm-hmm. And there are definitely some thematic similarities in certain ways between I think so. uh, these two stories, which we might touch on a little bit. We won't ruin any major plot points for Pet Cemetery, mm-hmm. uh, but we might refer to a few things about it. So. And our kind of reasoning, we wanted to do two horror um, for the month of October. And for Pet Cemetery, we picked one where the book was definitely, I think, more popular than the yeah. terrible movie that they made. Although I actually just read recently that movie did really, really well in the box office. Really? Yeah. That's shocking. Like way better than like most horror movies, like Friday <laughs> the 13th. And Wow. But still Why? a terrible movie, but it did really well for its, for the time. So I thought that was really interesting. I didn't get to mention that in our episode. But. Yeah, that is interesting. But I think the book still kind of retains its popularity over mm-hmm. the movie, especially Stephen King's name attached to it. Yeah. Um, and then for this pick, we wanted to pick one where the movie definitely overshadowed the book. Yeah, this movie was a phenomenon when it came out. Yeah. And obviously we weren't alive in 1973. So we can't uh, (laughs) say specifically, but I know my mom has talked about it and just, I mean, people passing out and freaking out like in the movie theater. Throwing up in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Going nuts. (laughs) Yeah. The image of Reagan turning her head around, I think, uh, just blew people away at the time. And so. the effects in this were pretty great, I think, for the they time were. as well. A lot of practical stuff, really well done. And it was, it was a cultural phenomenon, you know, the first horror movie to be nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. And it won, you know, it was nominated for like 10 Oscars, I think, in total. And won, I think, two or three. Um, but it was kind of, it took the nation, the country by storm, I think. If you account for inflation, mm-hmm. it is still the highest grossing R-rated film of all time. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Which is very impressive. Yeah. And kind of from what I was reading, like other quote unquote horror movies have been nominated for Best Picture since then. Yeah. But but like straight horror. Yeah. This is kind of the only straight horror. Like yeah. Jaws was nominated and Silence of the Lambs. But a lot of those are more kind of thriller-esque. Yeah. yeah and Silence of the Lambs has like horror aspects to it Mm -hmm. and then get out which some people consider to be a horror movie as well which has like some horror aspects to it. it's got tropes to it it's more of a thriller for me yeah they all kind of ride those lines but i think the exorcist is straight horror straight horror yeah straight up (laughs) the good stuff straight up demons 
in a child. Let's, <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. I've talked before about how I don't like horror. And so this was definitely a challenge for the past two, these two episodes for me, which was good. I'm so um, proud of you, though. Thank you. You you really um, gave it a shot. And, you know, to uh, be fair, both of these movies were made a long time ago. And so we're not as scary, I think, as some modern horror. I sure. could have. Yeah, I could have dipped my feet into. But uh, it was still interesting and uh, still challenging for me in many ways. Um, I think one of the reasons why sometimes horror and in particular something like this can upset, be upsetting, is the whole demonic element. Yeah, it is a really unsettling thing to think about, especially if you have, I mean, even if you don't have much of a religious background, background or belief system this idea i think is still very unsettling oh yeah unless you're and 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 something that's interesting about this story is how it talks a lot about the psychological too Mm -hmm. where for a lot of the book the girl who's possessed reagan is thought to just be delusional yeah and they're like this is like also a psychological disorder you can have where you think you're possessed Yeah. yeah so even that's like even if you're total straight atheist and you're like bring it demons yeah you could still just go crazy and the think fact you're that possessed. this could happen to you and you could, you know, think that this was happening or you could experience symptoms like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as someone who grew up very religious and not just like religious, I mean, there's like Catholic religious, which is kind of what do the people yeah. that do like the exorcisms, you know, the church that I grew up in was pretty um, evangelical and kind of. I'm trying to think of a word just pretty, pretty serious about it. Pretty, Yeah, could get pretty intense. Nobody was really casual about this. So, you know, demonic possession was something that could actually happen. So, you know, I'm not very religious anymore. But when you have that background, that fear of Satan, the devil yeah. and demons is like always with you. Because when you talk about ghosts, you talk about haunting, you talk about possession, like that's all things that could like happen. Yeah. Like a demon could could possess you and, you know, your family would be like, oh, yeah, like we got to cast Satan out of her. Like <laughs> call the priest yeah. down the road. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, just a, a terrifying thing to even consider, yeah. not even just for yourself, but people, you know. And so I think this movie and this book, too, really taps into something that is kind of just in all of us or most of us, at least this kind of interferes. So Definitely. it's very effective in that way, I'd say. Definitely. Yeah. And I think all of America would agree as well. Yes. <laughs> uh, in, in 1973. Especially the ones that threw up and passed out during the movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's, let's jump into it. Yeah. We've got a prologue to talk about first, though. Mm-hmm. A very interesting. Let's set the scene. Bizarre prologue. We don't know a whole lot about what's going on in either the book or the movie. It takes no. place in Iraq, mm-hmm. and we're following an archaeologist who is also a priest. Yeah. As he is working on uncovering some ruins and excavating them. And the book, both versions are very, you don't know who this person is. You don't really know what's going on. Both the book and the movie kind of handle it a little differently. Yeah. But the the book, I think it's only four pages or something. It's very brief. It's very I mean, brief. it's very confusing, but it's very brief. Yeah. So and the movie, it's like ten minutes. It's yeah. a pretty big chunk of the movie. Yeah. So, but yeah, let's start there. I guess what I really liked. I hated the book part. I liked the movie 
prologue. I though. feel like the movie prologue did go on too long for me. Mm-hmm. Like what he does basically in this scene is he's in the dig, they find stuff and then he's like doing something. He's like having tea. Yeah. And then he like goes to back to the dig and then he like feels like some there's some kind of presence there. And I'm like, I mean, at least the tea part could have been cut. Like <laughs> <laughs> why do we need to see him like sitting talking to people and then that one guy who's like do you have to you know it's like very long Mm -hmm. well and it's tough to know what's going on at the time but looking back clearly he's received some kind of premonition about things to come and i think it's very effective in that because after he finds this tiny like relic that's the head of a demon Mm -hmm. like a little stone one which is pazuzu Pazuzu, the demon Mm -hmm. uh which is certainly relevant later after that, when he's kind of around this town in Iraq, he's very, he seems very flustered, kind of sweaty. And there's a lot of scenes of people looking at him. Yeah. People around kind of staring at him. So there's him a almost sense getting of, run over by a cart. Yeah. There's, so there's like a sense of paranoia mm-hmm. and I guess unease that's being created. It's very atmospheric. There's almost no kind of plot given to you. No. Just kind of these subtle hints. But I I, I don't know. I, I thought it was at least interesting. And I think it does work. Mm-hmm. It does create a mood. Um, but again, after it's over, you're like, wow, that was a lot to just get us to like here. Sure. Also, I find it more than anything kind of unjustifiable because clearly parts of the movie yeah. later on were cut and removed. And not th- any of this. And none of this. This is 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. But then parts later really skip key plot points and things that happen. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's where it kind of bothers me is that they included all of this but left out a lot of things to come, so. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so, but an interesting, strange start because after this Iraq scene, we jump to Georgetown. Mm-hmm. Where our main character and the main plot happens. Yeah. And we're kind of left to forget Iraq. And we're for like, a what was time. that? And it yeah. like never comes back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it does. It, but. it does to an yeah. extent. <laughs> so, Georgetown. Yeah. We've got Chris. Chris, an actress. Yes. She is living around the campus because they're filming a movie there. Yeah. That she is a teacher in it's the movie. Like there's some activism thing going on. Yeah. It doesn't really play much of a role. Yeah. Other than they're not at home in L.A. They're, you know, kind of out of their element in mm-hmm. this town. And also her director is kind of a character in yeah. the plot. Dennings. This British drunk asshole, but sweet also. Yeah, but mostly An asshole. asshole. He doesn't yeah. really have a character in the movie. Um, He's no. just sort of there to be like. I'm British and drunk. Um, in the book, we get to see a little bit more of him and his personality and his relationship with Chris and mm-hmm. Chris's daughter, Regan. And she's 12 years old. Chris and her husband have been divorced for a little while now, it seems like. Um, but Regan and Chris are very close. Yeah. And then we have Sharon. Yes. Their assi- her assistant slash kind of a nanny and caretaker yeah. to Regan, who... Doesn't live with them directly, but is there a lot. She essentially is kind of almost one of the family. And then there's two caretakers, Carl and Willie. Yes. uh, Who take... uh, Housekeepers type thing. Yeah, Carl has more of a role in the book 
in the movie, they're just kind of around. Yeah. So they're around to be like, <gasps> when stuff happens. Yeah. When, when, when shit really, really goes down. So and shit begins to start start to go down just a little bit at first. Yeah. We get scratchy, scratchy sounds in and, the attic. And like thumping noises. And thumping noises. And then Reagan complaining to her mom, Chris, about her bed shaking at night. Yeah. We also get Reagan playing with a Ouija board. Yes. And I would like to discuss this mm-hmm. <laughs> because are we meant to believe that the only thing that brought this demon to Reagan specifically was just her playing with a Ouija board in the basement by herself. I never got that impression that that was the thing yeah. that summoned it to me. Cause we're already getting hints of the possession beginning, but she was already playing with the Ouija board for a while when she shows her mom it. She's like, Oh, I play with it by myself down here. Yeah, I guess I don't know. It's hard to say because it's so it's such a slow start with the possession. Yeah. That we don't know when things started. And we're or never why. we're never given an explanation as to why this happens. You know, yeah. it's not like so if you just don't play with a Ouija board, you'll never be possessed. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like yeah. this could be it, but I'm like, are is this our only clue as to why her how this got brought in? Yeah. They never really care about how or why Reagan. No. So in my mind, clearly this can kind of just happen to anyone. Mm. And so to me, I don't think they were necessarily pointing to this as the inciting incident, but I'm not sure. It's just that it's the only kind of evidence. It is. Yeah. Of something. And she uses the Ouija board <laughs> to talk to someone called Captain Howdy. I would love to know how many horror tropes yeah this movie alone kind of started i know we've got so this is kind of a cross between two it's a girl young girl playing with ouija board yes and then young girl with imaginary friend who isn't imaginary yes and then obviously all kinds of possession tropes Tropes. later on so Mm -hmm. i would love to know was this the beginning of like now we have those ouija movies yeah and uh I don't know of any imaginary friend movies, but that's probably. it's usually kind of tied to that possession. Oh yeah, I think there was something like that in um, the Conjuring or something. Yeah, yeah, the, you, you know, my friend something or other, and then later, <laughs> and you're like he's dead. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Immediately, run, no, 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 no. <laughs> if my kid ever has an imaginary friend, they are cutting that shit out. Yes, no. I'm like, don't bring this evil into our house. <laughs> This is how it starts. <laughs> this can lead to no good. Uh, yeah. So this starts. So it starts. Uh, what what happens next? Next, we go to a new character. Oh yeah, Father Karis, who he's a priest, but he's not like other priests. No, he <laughs> he's different. Has the rugged, chipped face of a boxer. Yes, and the world weariness of. Uh, a, a cowboy. A, a cowboy. <laughs> sure. And he is uh, ruggedly handsome. Yes. Compared to actors frequently. Mm-hmm. And he is kind of maybe, I would say, the biggest protagonist in the book. Yeah. And, and in the story in general. Yeah. Because um, Chris is a main character, but she sort of takes a backseat the more the story goes on. Yeah, which is a big bummer for me. Yeah. Because I like this story starts off with a lot of female characters. It does. We have Reagan, we have Chris, we have Sharon. Mm -hmm. 
Willie's there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> but then as it goes on, a lot of these characters lose, I guess, agency or control over what's going on. Yeah. And so they just kind of fall to the wayside. They fall into the background while the men kind of take charge. And Father Karras is uh, some type of immigrant. It's not explained in the book. In the movie, it makes it seem like he's Greek. Yeah, the only reason we know that is this movie is oh my God. so fucking quiet. It's so quiet. That we had to turn on the subtitles. I always feel like a, an old person. Me too. When I turn on the subtitles, I'm like, I was not meant to do this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> This isn't for me. This isn't how it's supposed to go. But like, especially in the beginning... And there's one scene in particular where um, the mom is talking to Reagan. She's like tucking her into bed yeah. and they're talking. And I'm like, what are they saying? Yeah. I cannot hear anything. <laughs> and, you know, we're like, we live, you know, in a house with like other people, you know, mm-hmm. above and below us. We're not going to like blast the TV yeah. just to hear like two lines of dialogue and then for it to immediately be like all this crazy noise. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, and this movie was strange. Uh, the editing's weird. Not weird bad, but unique. And I actually found it very effective in a lot of ways. A lot of scenes tend to cut and end right after a line of dialogue. Like yeah. immediately after, cut to a new scene. A lot of times with an almost jarring change in the soundscape. Yeah. So it'll be from a quiet bedroom shot to immediately like a bustling uh, area with a lot of noise and sound and people. Mm-hmm. Also, there's a lot of times not much of an establishing shot or time taken to establish where you are, where you are. So it's very disorienting in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and kind of rapid. But I enjoyed it. It felt very intentional and kind of gave it the movie a unique feel that was a little unsettling. But I enjoyed that. It did have a different vibe to it for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, What we were originally saying was that we know that Father Karras is Greek because oh, yeah. in the subtitles it it said like speaking in Greek or song in Greek or something. Yeah, his mo- mother is going on another language. And, yeah. yeah his, so that's the only reason we know <laughs> yeah. he's probably Greek. At first I was like Italian maybe, but yeah, it, mm-hmm. it's Greek. So um, he has a mother that is kind of destitute living in New York City. Yeah, and we find out later... In the book, at least, maybe in the movie, too, that his mother uh, suffers from uh, Alzheimer's, I think. Is that right? I don't remember. Or some kind of because when she's she's hospitalized shortly after and she's in a psych ward. Yeah. Because she has Alzheimer's even. So I don't maybe because she's prone to wandering or something. But uh, but this wasn't very well established. I didn't think at the beginning she just seems like an old lady. Yeah. So. Kind of a little confusing And there. then she's suddenly in like a mental asylum and Father Karras is visiting her and he's like upset and he's like, I'm going to get you out of here. But you're like, what? And then she dies? Yeah. So in the movie, this is one of the cuts that is so weird and jarring. Yeah. That's the last scene we see with Karis and his mom. Mm-hmm. She's in this hospital and you're not really sure what for exactly. Yeah, they don't explain. No. Uh but then we he's like I'm going to get you out of here. We're going to get you better. Cut to there's a party going on yeah. that Chris is hosting back in uh Georgetown. Yeah. And someone is talking cuz there's other Jesuit priests there and one of them is saying how 
oh yeah, Father Karras, he couldn't be here. They found his mother dead in her apartment. And you're like, in her apartment? Yeah. And they're like, it two was weeks a few, ago. It was a few days before some, like anyone found her because no one knew she was there. And you're like, wait, wasn't she just in a mental institute? Like, how did she get out? Yeah. <laughs> like She got out. Then died, then was found, and then Father Karras found out. Like, so much... What is the timeline ...happens. Here? Yeah. yeah. It, it, clearly, a lot was cut there. Yeah. In the, th- in the book, it doesn't really go into this whole mental institution scene. Mm-mm. There are hints that this might have happened in the past. Yeah. And that he's remembering it or thinking about it. And then he visits his mom, and then he's thinking about her, and then soon after that, she dies. Yeah, so it's a little, I mean, the the book does a little better job of kind of giving this non-linear flow of kind of, you know, jumping ahead in time and giving you a little bit of backstory about maybe what's happened. Yeah. So it makes, it's a little less jarring in the book, but in the movie, you're like, what the hell did they cut out? What What is even going on here? Yeah. Then at this party, during this party, so uh, Reagan comes down. Mm-hmm. Pisses all over the floor. Yeah. And then gives a very creepy foreboding uh, warning yeah. to one of the guests mm-hmm. before she's whisked away by her mom. Yeah. And her mom's like, I'm sorry. She's sick. She hasn't been feeling well because in the book, she's been acting kind of weird lately. Yeah. Uh, her mom thinks it's kind of an emotional issue. She's just being strange. She's acting out. People are telling her she like swore at us, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, but in the movie, this is kind of our main first glimpse of anything going wrong. Yeah. Her mom gets her upstairs and she goes like, what's wrong with me, mom? Yeah. And what does she say? Like the doctors? She's like, you know what the doctor said? It's just nerves. Just take your pills and it's fine. And I'm like, what? What pills? What doctor? What nerves? Like, yeah. What's going on? We haven't seen on? any of this. The last scene we saw of you guys was like you tucking her into bed and it was like all happy go lucky. And she's complained about her bed shaking. Yeah. And obviously the sound of like scratching in the attic is another thing that's going on too. But we haven't been given any information about doctors or that no. this is in her head. Or that Reagan has been feeling off or hasn't been feeling like herself, you know. Um, so that this is very confusing in the movie. Yeah. Well, it, it suddenly feels like there was a chunk Right before this party scene that was missing that maybe would have explained Karis's mother dying and yeah. him maybe finding out and maybe more uh, about Reagan and doctors. Going to the doctor. And it is worth noting that there is a director's cut of this movie. Yes. But we did not watch the director's cut. We did not. Because it feels kind of like a cop out. Yeah. This is the theatrical cut. This is the cut that existed for... This is the cut that made people throw up in theaters. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's good enough for us. (laughs) So we wanted to make sure that we were seeing the original. And because when you... I know we did the director's cut or whatever for Blade Runner, but that's kind of a different... That's kind of a special case. It was a special case because it really wasn't meant to be what it was in the theater. Yeah. that, That movie kind of got butchered behind the scenes. But this is one that, you know... And this kind of goes back to maybe it's a little bit too accurate to the book where it's hurting. It is. And I think it is hurting. Yeah. Like they could have rearranged things or come up with a different sort of plot line for Reagan's descent into possession or Karis's dilemma with his mom. Like they could have done something else. I don't know why they felt like they had to include all of this. And it just became very confusing. Yeah. And and maybe this is an issue of from a script writing perspective. I don't know a lot about I, I, 
correction. I don't know anything about script writing, <laughs> but I think it's a problem where your script, as soon as things start being cut yeah. or need to be cut, suddenly like whole threads of the story can't be reassembled. Yeah. Like I think scripts, I'm guessing scripts kind of have to be written in a way where, you know, you're kind of conscientiously like, this scene can be cut. If there's one that needs to be cut, it's this one. Or like, if you cut this, people will not understand this. Like, don't cut it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and this movie's two hours. Yeah. I think it maybe could have been a little longer to fill in those gaps. Because that's a very jarring... Or maybe they could have cut that scene of him drinking tea in Iraq. You mean the beautiful 10-minute Iraq opening? How dare you, Adina? How dare you even consider cutting this short film this masterpiece? This piece of art. Yeah. So, but yeah, so this is kind of a whole thing about the movie that's very confusing, confusing. and problematic. Yeah, and in the book, we have a more gradual, like, we see Regan going to the doctor They tell her she has ADHD, basically. Mm -hmm. They give her Ritalin. She's taking these pills for a while. Things aren't really getting better. And then the spiral continues. Yeah, and so they're they're dealing with it. So we kind of have a little bit more context into why Reagan is concerned about what's going on. And, you know, it makes a little bit more sense, I guess. But another character in the book that we mentioned gets a little bit more time as Dennings, the director. Mm-hmm. We said Dennings is mostly asshole and this is true. And yeah. he's kind of a huge asshole at the party mm-hmm. that they're all attending. The Carl, the one house man. Housekeeper. House, yeah, housekeeper. They call him <laughs> the a ha- house man. Well, they call him a houseman. Do they? A couple times, yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm laughing about in the book. They call him like the houseman, <laughs> I think. Uh, he's Swiss. And at one point, uh, Dennings goes on a tirade about him being a, a Nazi. Nazi. He's he's kind of all over the place, Dennings yeah. is. But I liked his character in the book. Yeah. He was complicated and interesting mm-hmm. because he was a huge asshole with kind of a heart of gold. Yeah. A little bit. Mm-hmm. He does not last. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't. Spoiler alert, which was kind of. A bummer. Yeah, Reagan starts having these episodes and she has to be sedated. Um, and there's this kind of weird setup where um, the mom has to go out. And so Sharon stays with Reagan. And then Sharon needs to pick up a prescription for Reagan. And Dennings comes by to see Chris. And Chris is not there, but Sharon's like, oh, she'll be back soon oh, I have to pick up this prescription. Can you stay here? Regan's upstairs. Like, she's sedated. She's fine while I'm gone. Um, And then sometime around then, Dennings dies. Yeah, and it's totally unclear, although I laughed so hard because as soon as Chris gets home, she closes the the shutters and windows of Regan's bedroom are wide open. Yeah. And she's like, oh, what are these doing open? And she closes them. And we already know these these windows go right down to a flight of steps that go down to the street next to their house. So they're very significant. They're given... And so the window's open, and Dennings is gone. And I was like, oh, I wonder... What could have happened? I wonder what happened to Dennings. Yeah. And then they find out only later. I expected them to find the body. Yeah. But then we find out later that just while everyone was gone, he fell down the steps, people found him, they took him away, and then he died. Yeah. And people figured that 
he was drunk, fell down the steps, and that's how he died. But Chris isn't convinced. Yeah. Because Dennings was a professional drunk. Yeah. He was drunk all the time, and that's how he operated (laughs) Mm -hmm. 24-7, one (laughs) Yeah, and so for him to, like, fall down a flight of steps is, like, an amateur move. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Totally way beneath him. Yeah, and so with this death, we are introduced to this detective, Kinderman, I believe. Kinderman. Yeah, and he is investigating Dennings' murder because as we come to find out, after many, 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 many pages, but pretty quickly in the book or in the movie, uh, Dennings's head was twisted all the way around. Which Kinderman is not convinced could have happened from just to fall down the steps because yeah. that takes a lot of physical exertion mm-hmm. for a head to be twisted around. Yeah. So he's convinced he was murdered. Mm-hmm. In the book, there's kind of this really interesting element where you as the reader are led to suspect Carl. Yeah. The houseman. The houseman. Because of their altercation at the party where he was ranting about him being a Nazi. Yeah. And, and, and you know, Dennings clearly picked on Carl a lot. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, ooh, did Carl just kill him? Like, is, yeah. this, is this related at all to the <laughs> possession? Maybe it's not. Who knows? Yeah. And uh, Kinderman kind of suspects Carl as well. And so he's kind of like trying to investigate, trying to see like what's going on. Did he have an alibi? Where was he around this time? It's this whole thing. Kinderman has this weird act where he pretends to be like a bumbling, like folksy detective, but also is like sly. Actually very smart. Yeah. I like that on paper, but it gets very exhausting. It was he kept just kept book. talking about like his wife and children and being like, "Oh yes, the the old lady makes me food and la la la." I don't know. <laughs> Did you notice how none of the women in the book want to go to art house films, but all the men do? Because Carl couldn't get his wife Willie to go see the art house films. Oh, that like he the likes. King Lear, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and then. Kinderman <laughs> suffers from the same problem where his wife won't go with him to see the movies. Oh, my gosh. It's like, what world is this <laughs> that all these men want to go to these bullshit foreign films? Yeah. And the women are like, I don't want to. I want to see the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that what, what yeah. Willie? Yeah, yeah, that's what Willie went to see. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was a weird. Weird plot line. Recurring thing. Mm-hmm. Basically, I don't know. Kinderman's whole, his whole deal doesn't amount to anything. No, he doesn't really contribute at all to anything in any way. No. Ultimately, at least in the book, he is confronted with like a moral dilemma. Yeah. Uh, because eventually he figures out that it was Reagan. Yes. Uh, the child, which is, uh, would you ever come to that conclusion that like a child, no matter what, I mean, he, I guess he thought she was possessed at that point. Yeah. Or was like psychotic. Yeah, but anyway, he knows it was her, and he's like, I don't know if I should tell anyone because she's just a child and she wasn't in her right mind, but she could do it again. Mm -hmm. So at least in the book, he as a character has kind of a development in yeah. that way. And he he like talks to Father Karis about it. You mm-hmm. know, as a priest, he's like, what should I do, Father? Like, yeah. can you give me spiritual advice, you know? In the movie, he's just kind of investigating and he shows up right at the end yeah. and contributes nothing. No. <laughs> he literally just knocks on the door. He's like, yo, what's up? Right when like the climax is happening. Yeah. So kind of a, a waste of space. Yeah. Maybe just filler. I don't know. Yeah. And I think 
in the book, at least it's supposed to lead us down this thought path of like, Oh, is Carl involved? What's going on? Yeah. You know, and, but, and it develops Carl a little more as a character. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's a little more purposeful in the book. But again, again, this might be a case of like sticking too closely to the book. Is this character actually needed? Could we have cut this? No one was going to miss Kinderman, the detective that much. No. From the book. (laughs) (laughs) One person in the audience would have been like, where's Kinderman? My favorite bumbling detective. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, uh, you know, you know, you know, you feel me. I feel you on that. You get that. I definitely do. Great. (laughs) Moving on from Kinderman. Moving on. Let's talk about Reagan's rapid escalation down slide into Into possession, into full on hardcore possession. It's interesting. um, We have some of the early episodes are her being like flung up and down on the bed. Yeah. Kind of looking like against her will. Also, Reagan screaming like. He's burning me. Mm-hmm. He's burning me. Make him stop. Um, he's hurting me, etc. So something is happening to her. She's also starting to the demon uh, personality is coming through. Yeah. Where, you know, she's speaking in a different voice, you know, obviously talking in the third person, referring to Reagan yeah. as the sow. Yeah. And yeah. So people are like, Ew. This is weird. This is this is getting weird. <laughs> yeah. Her flu got real weird. <laughs> Give her some more Benadryl. <laughs> She's talking about the sows again. <laughs> and also she keeps puking it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's a it's a time. And and the demon is very like vulgar. Yeah. Creepiest part in the whole book. One of them. Yeah. Chris and Sharon are just kind of around the house while Reagan is upstairs sick. Yeah. And Sharon enters the room at one point. Unknown to her, Reagan is walking on her hands and legs, but like bent over backwards. Like a fucking spider. Right behind her. Yeah. And Chris is like, hmm. <laughs> and Sharon's like, what? And uh. then turns around and it's like, and then Reagan is like spider walking and then also like flicking her tongue like a snake. Ugh. It was it was real freaky. Yeah, there was actually a scene in the movie. I watched the clip uh, that was filmed of this mm-hmm. where she goes down the steps in that way. But unfortunately, at the time, they had to use wires to support the actor, the contortionist yeah. doing this. And they couldn't. There's no way for them to digitally remove them. Yeah. So they ended up cutting the scene because you could see fucking wires. Mm hmm. So that's a shame. It is. It's kind of a freaky part. So I think it would have been effective if they could have done it. But I think it's in the director's cut. Yeah. Then there is the scene. Yes. Uh, Warning to anyone who has not read the book or seen The Exorcist at all. It's very graphic and disturbing. So if you want to skip this part, that's totally fine. Totally. I wish I could skip this part. Up to you. Uh, quick, quick, um, critique of people discussing this scene though. Yeah. It is often referred to as the masturbation scene. It is not. It is not because now in the book. So in the book, Reagan uses a crucifix, uh, to masturbate with at several points in the story. No, she just masturbates manually or just, oh, okay. Okay. I'm Mm -hmm. sorry. Yeah. Uh, but in this scene, she uses a crucifix and is basically stabbing herself in the yeah, genitals with it. Yeah, she's not masturbating. She's literally stabbing herself. Yeah. 
very violently. And, there, uh, and, and there's blood. And so it's clearly a violent. It's a violent act. Uh, act on herself. The demon doing it to Reagan, yeah. essentially. It's really disturbing in the book because uh, they like come into the room and because they hear Reagan screaming and Reagan is like, no, don't make me do it. And she's holding the crucifix up to her vagina and it's just like, no, no, no. And then the demon is screaming like within her, like, do it, do it, do it. And then starts to do it. Yeah. And it's just like, it made me really upset. Yeah. <laughs> it made me really upset. And as I was reading it, I was like, and I told you. I, I remember like, when you got to this part. And I just read a part. I don't think you've got there yet, but I don't know if I can keep reading this book. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was just awful. It is. It is. It's the most, I think, extreme this story gets. Yeah. And I, I give it credit for that because it get it you get the picture and then it doesn't really linger on this kind of um, yeah actual sexual physical violence. yeah sexual violence to herself. There's still a shit ton of vulgarity yeah and like insinuation and violence and stuff like but that kind of extreme level of it isn't really Present. brought up yeah again so. Mm-hmm. I just, I really don't like this because, um, one, it's very graphic and disturbing and two, it's involving a minor. Yeah. And mm-hmm. for me, that is just, uh, that's not that I like never want to experience that content in any medium. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that is too much for me. And I think it's too much for a lot of people. And I'm guessing this was maybe one of the scenes that caused people to pass out. Um, in the movie, it's very disturbing as well. And uh, I did, I like tried to look away from it because I couldn't look yeah. at it. Yeah. Her mom tries to stop her physically, and Reagan uh, hits her, knocks yeah. her back away with her, you know, superhuman strength at this mm-hmm. point. And then we also get, we knew there was like telekinesis of some sort at play because of the yeah. shaking of the bed mm-hmm. and the way her body was moving. But then a bureau in the, movie yeah. comes sliding at Chris. So that's that's in the mix now. <laughs> we yeah. have moving furniture, <laughs> self-moving furniture, yeah. which sounds nice, but it's not actually. It is not nice. <laughs> self-moving furniture is not all it's cracked up to be. Yeah. But this is kind of the point where they're like, we fucking need uh, An some, some serious help. Yeah. 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 Before this, you know, Chris has taken Reagan to see tons of doctors. They run every single kind of test. You know, they scan her brain. They're looking at her spinal fluid. They're looking to see if she could have epilepsy, if there could be a lesion, like all this, all these things that they're looking for. They don't find anything. No. Then they get a psychiatrist and they have her hypnotized and they're trying to think, you know, (laughs) that doesn't go too well. (laughs) No, no. And the demon actually grabs the balls of the psychiatrist and squeezes real hard. (laughs) Yeah. So they didn't try that again. No. But there's a really I'm a little mixed on this. It's a really interesting concept. Yeah. We're even to the most extreme with. Reagan clearly reading people's minds. Yeah. And furniture moving on its own across Her the room. speaking in languages like that she doesn't know. Yeah. There are constantly doubts and like scientific explanations, r- explanations for all this stuff. They're like, you know, there has been uh, recordings of telekinesis by people under extreme mental duress. And I'm like, is this true? Yeah, I don't. 
I don't know. It's very... It's very Carrie-like. It is. And... To bring up another Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was kind of interesting to kind of think about. And then even with the speaking in different languages, at yeah. one point later on when Karis confronts the demon, uh, she's speaking Latin. Yeah. But then says like, oh, but am I just reading your mind because you know Latin and am I just reading what you think I'm going to say? And you're like, reading my mind is just as crazy as you speaking in a language that you don't know. I don't I know. know why one is supposed to be less yeah. believable than the other. So I guess it's just like, <laughs> is it just the unimaginable power of the human mind mm. that is causing all of this? And is it rooted in science or is it demonic possession? Yeah. And... I guess for the longest time, you just assume, well, it's a demon. Of course, it's a demon. Yeah. And I kind of wish the book wasn't called The Exorcist. I know. Because I think it immediately tells you exactly. And you so every time you're reading about like this doctor hemming and hawing about this theory or blah, blah, blah. You're like, oh, come on. I don't care. Like, it's a demon. Like, let's get to it. It's a demon. Yeah, absolutely a demon. <laughs> but also, I'm not even sure the Technically, based on all the criteria that were given that yeah. they think theoretically the human mind can do, I'm not sure we're ever given any completely fully solid evidence that it is without a doubt a demon. That's true. I don't think we are. And to the point of, you know, they're like, this is a mental disorder where she thinks she's possessed and that's what's causing this. Yeah. And they tell Chris, you might want to actually get an exorcist. Because if she if she's convinced herself, yeah, that she's possessed, the only thing that might break through this like self delusion would be to actually have an exorcism occur. Mm-hmm. So even to the point where the exorcist is called the exorcist, yeah, it's like, well, is this just all about the power of mental persuasion? Is it mm-hmm. actually even casting out a demon? Yeah, or just causing someone to believe stuff? I don't know. I love the idea because Karis as a character who we're seeing a lot of this through is obviously in a the middle of a religious or uh, crisis of faith. Yeah. So he's constantly he kind of wants to believe in this demon. Yeah. But kind of doesn't and is constantly grappling with that as to whether he wants to believe whether he can. And I think that's an interesting dilemma. It is. That we get to experience a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm just not sure it's always believable in terms of okay telekinesis can be done by someone if they're mentally disturbed enough i think this would have worked if there was room for more doubt as to whether reagan was possessed in the book yes there's not really definite proof that she is but we're like very likely to believe like yeah we're supposed to assume that and so it's not really a mystery of whether she's possessed or not or what's really going on with her. It's more of like, oh, here are all the things that could explain this away, but she's actually possessed. Like, Yeah, or you know, if you took out telekinesis from it, I'd be much more, you know, even if it was just like, maybe she can read minds, like maybe the human mind can do that. I might have been able to believe one of those things a little bit more yeah. and buy into this concept a little stronger, but it's an interesting framework. It is. Um Chris meets with Father Karis. Yeah. Because she's like, I need to get an exorcist because this has gone really far, like far enough and I need Regan to get better. Um, and Father Karis is very reluctant to do this because he's had training. He's an actual psychiatrist. So he's had 
this training as a doctor and he does not believe in demonic possession. Um, Chris kind of, kind of convinces him to at least see Regan. Um, yeah. she's very desperate. Um, and so he goes to talk to Regan and meets the demon. And we get this really great kind of clashing of these two where and clashing. I just mean a discussion. Yeah. But it's very interesting. Mm -hmm. And I love a lot of these scenes where it's just Karis or talking with the demon, other people talking with the demon, kind of challenging the demon where the demon will move something with its mind. And Karis is like, did you do that? And she's like, yeah. He's like, we'll do it again. He's like, she's like, nah, I don't think I will right I'm, now. I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. And just kind of like fucking with him. Yeah. And, and you know, Karis tries to talk to Reagan, but, you know, the demon won't let Reagan talk. And then, you know, he's talking to the demon in different languages and he's asking the demon, like, what's your name? Who are you? You know, all this type of thing. And we're trying to find out too, like, what is this demon? What does it want with Regan? What are its goals? And what does it want from Karis as well? Yeah. We get a great line where at one point he's like, who are you? And she's just like the devil. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh. Ooh. But then we find out later it's she's not the devil, just a demon. Yeah. She's like, I meant a devil. One of the devils. W one of the many. In the book, and some in the movie, but mostly in the book, uh, Reagan is also sort of manifesting uh, Dennis's personality. Dennings. Dennings, I'm sorry, yeah, not okay. Dennis. The, um, the, the one that got killed. The, the, yeah, the director, she pushed out a window. Yeah. Well, snapped his neck and pushed him out a window. <laughs> Twisted his neck around, Ian. She um, <laughs> she adjusted his neck yeah. extremely. <laughs> <laughs> it's a chiropractic technique. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so his personality is like coming out where Reagan is talking in like a British accent and yelling at Carl that he's a fucking Nazi. Yeah. So um, that's very disturbing. And it's very disturbing for Chris, too, because this kind of makes Chris realize that, oh, my daughter killed Dennings. Yeah. And <laughs> now is like a bona fide murderer. Yeah. But as we find out, that doesn't really add up to a whole lot in no. this story. No. So... Essentially, Karis does some investigating. He records the different languages and he's building a case to try to figure out if this justifies an exorcism. Because he does have to get approval from his, the church elders. Yeah. And whether for like playing along to help her mentally exorcism or legitimate exorcism, he's not even sure. Yeah. But eventually he makes a case, brings it to the church and they're like, yeah, sure. That sounds like a possession. <laughs> There's a weird bit where he doesn't understand the one language that she's speaking in. And he takes in the book, he takes it to a linguist. And then the linguist is like, it's in English. It's just backwards. And then you get the playing the tape backwards. Yeah, I got reading that. And I read this part in the book after seeing the movie. So yeah. I knew what happened. But even just reading it where he's like listening to this tape backwards. Yeah. Just gave me chills. I know it was creepy. It's very creepy and very effective. Yeah. So they approve the exorcism, but mm -hmm. decide that Karis shouldn't be the one to do it because he doesn't have any expertise in it. Also, he's been like pretty open to everyone about how he's questioning his faith. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's like, I mean, I could ask God to cure her, but you know what, God also. <laughs> so they call in. What's his name? Marin. Marin. They call in Marin, who is 
the man from the opening in Iraq, he's back. He's back. And at this point, if we're talking about like volume of pages, so like the first like five pages were Marin, but we didn't know it was Marin. No. And now we only have like 30 pages of the book left. And now Marin comes back. (laughs) He was a really great character though. I liked him. Where he's just kind of got, he's older and he's very, he also feels just very weary, yes. but he's very sweet and mm-hmm. kind of reassures everyone. Yeah. And he just has this presence about him that everyone's kind of. Respects immediately. Yeah. Is just kind of like in awe of him. Mm-hmm. Even Chris in the book is like, I don't know if I believe in any kind of higher power, but I trust you, trust him and feel something in him. Yeah. And he has this presence to him. And the reason that the church asks Marin to do this exorcism is because he's had experience doing an exorcism before. And they mentioned (laughs) that he did one in Africa and it almost killed him. And they're they're like, like, he can probably do another one, right? He's like 80. Yeah. That was, that was 10 years ago that it almost killed him. Yeah. Let's do it now. (laughs) Let's let's have him do another one. Sure. And they're like, Oh, Karis, you, you'll be there to assist. And, um, it'll be good because you're a psychiatrist anyway for you to be there. Karis is bad and clean up in this instance. That's baseball. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, um, unbeknownst to everyone, Marin has a heart condition. That he's taking pills for. You just see him shakily taking pills. Yeah. But before that um, catches up with him. Yeah. We get uh, the start of the exorcism Mm -hmm. in both the book and the movie, which there's a little bit more in the book, I'd say, but it lasts a little bit longer, like across a couple days. Yeah. And in the movie, it's kind of all distilled into one scene. Mm -hmm. And this made me realize something. I haven't seen a lot of horror movies or possession movies, but I love a good exorcism scene. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking about The Conjuring, yeah. which has a really great uh, confrontation at the end with an exorcism. Yeah. And it's just a great good versus evil with a lot of kind of unspecified rules that are yes, going on. A lot of rules that you don't know about them (laughs) no but i love that because just anything can happen at any point Mm -hmm. and it's real freaky and wild and it's very intense but i like me a good exorcism that's good i'm glad (laughs) i'm glad for you (laughs) yeah yeah me too i don't have strong thoughts on exorcism also it's kind of a, a confrontation that you know no other genre can really lay claim to yeah in any way if that makes sense Mm -hmm. you know the exorcism is very much the horror genre. Oh, yeah. Even in movies, it's not a clear exorcism. Like, the Babadook has a great confrontation at the end that's kind of just this abstract confronting of the evil of the story that's Mm -hmm. really good, so. Yeah, and... um, I just forgot what I was going to say. I'm sorry, no. (laughs) Uh, We get... Yeah, the, the the scene's just very interesting. We got, what? Oh my God, Marin! I keep wanting to call him like Mendez or like <laughs> Ma- Manny. <laughs> Manny, the Exorcist, Manny. We really see Marin in his in his uh, mode. Yeah, where the the demons like talking trash to him, and he's just like, "Be silent!" And yeah, just the demons throwing shuts up. like holy water on him. He's yeah. like reciting the prayers. 
uh, Reagan spews her projectile vomit on him and he's just like wiping it away. Keep like <laughs> reading the scriptures. Like brushes it off his shoulder. Yeah. yeah. He's like unfazed. The vomit is disgusting in the movie. I just want to say. Oh, it's it's super gross. I think yeah. it's just like pea soup. It's just very green. <laughs> it is. It's very green and very and it just, heavy. It's very like it's very projected. Like <laughs> this is not how people usually throw up. No, that that should be maybe that's one of the key um, skills of a demon. Yeah, that's how they test it. They like set up <laughs> like a like uh, a tape measurer and just like see how far the vomit goes. Ugh. I'm sure this is also what made people throw up in the movie. Probably <laughs> it goes like right into Karis's face. Yeah. Also in the book. She, like, spews vomit on people so much that they just, like, stop caring. Like, by the end, she just, like, yeah. at one point, she just, like, voms all over Karis, <laughs> and he just, like, doesn't even care. <laughs> also, the, in the book, they talk a lot about her, like, just, like, pooping a lot. Like, oh. diarrhea. <laughs> like, literally, Karis is, like, having a conversation with Reagan, and she's just, like, actively, like, spewing diarrhea into oh, the bed. <laughs> The, the demon's whole plan is to just gross everyone out until yeah. they leave. She's what, what do you um, what's it called in in there uh, where they eat the the wafer? Or, oh, communion. Yeah, but isn't it called something or like the host? The host, like yeah. I forget, but she's like, "Hey, I've got a host for it." <laughs> it just shits the bed. <laughs> yeah, so uh, pretty gross stuff, but. At one point in the movie, we see during this uh, uh, exorcism, the whole bed floats off the ground. And I love that we see Karis involved in this because like yeah. his expression is like our expression. He's just like, Shocked. holy shit, like this is really happening. Yeah. Where the whole bed lifts off the ground. Mm -hmm. And then at one point while they're doing the classic, the power of Christ compels you. Yes. Reagan just lifts off the bed mm -hmm. silently in like a crucifix yeah. position while they flick holy water on her. It's all very well filmed. It is. It's very iconic. Iconic, very convincing. It's a really great scene, the mm -hmm. whole exorcism scene. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, she passed out. Take a break, get some water. <laughs> we're, we're coming right all back right, take to five. it. Five. <laughs> they come back and Karis is kind of overwhelmed by because. Reagan and the demon start speaking um, in his mother's voice, his yeah. dead mother, and start making references to his mother being there in Reagan or in his mother being in hell and making him feel guilty about leaving his mother, leaving her there to die. And so Karis kind of like loses it. Yeah, where when Marin gets back, he kind of kicks him out. He's like, this is too much right now. Get some air. Yeah. Uh, and let me keel over and die. <laughs> let me just die right let here. Me die. I've totally got it, dude. <laughs> and then die. Don't worry about anything. <laughs> Ten well, minutes poor later. Poor Marin. Yeah. It was like he knew he was going to die, though. It, it was. I loved in the book when Karis comes back and finds the body. The demon is screaming at him. Yeah. Where he's like, don't you die, you asshole like we're not done we're here. not done you were gonna lose like yeah. you know i love that the demon is mad that he's yeah dead. yeah because like, he doesn't want him to die no he wanted to like fight marin and like 
be the one to kill him, basically. Yeah, and to win over him. Because yeah. it, it's implied that this is the same demon that Marin exercised in Africa 10 yeah. years ago. And so they have like a history. Mm-hmm. And so clearly the, the demon wanted a rematch. Yeah. And then Marin's like, yeah, I'm going to peace. And then- okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I loved the demon's reaction in the book. Because yeah. I thought that was so interesting. It was. So at this point, Karis is just done with it. He's just yeah. so pissed. I love the part in the movie when he starts strangling a child. Yeah, and <laughs> punching a child. Yeah. He's like a full-grown, physically fit man. Yeah. Just beating a child. Yeah. Uh, and then demands that the demon take him. Yeah. And the demon's like, cool, yeah, jumps into Karis. Do you think that the demon needed permission to enter Karis? That's a good question. Um... Hmm. Or Karis needed to be vulnerable enough for the demon to possess him. Maybe. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, To cover something we talked, you know, a lot about earlier, but even this, it's it's a risk that the exercisers could become possessed by the demon. But even from a psychological standpoint, they're like, you know, the person doing the exorcism is very emotionally vulnerable. Yeah. And they themselves can be brought to the delusion that they are possessed, too. Mm-hmm. So even in this instance, it's not totally clear Clear if Karis just went crazy. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. he, he could have. He could have just lost it. And he had every reason to. You know, he lost his mother. He mm-hmm. was questioning his faith. He was faced with this extraordinary event. And then to have Marin you know, maybe his hope in this situation as like this steady, uh, you know, religious man, then just die. Yeah. Enough to send anyone over the edge. So the, the demon, uh, possesses him slash he develops a psychological disorder at the exact (laughs) same time that Reagan loses it. Yeah. Uh, with being possessed, he gets control long enough to throw himself out the window. How? What did you think about how the book handled this scene? Once again, it happens without anyone around. Off we, the page. Yeah, we get it from the perspective of Chris, who's downstairs, hearing the struggle, Karis yelling, and then the shattering of glass, and they go upstairs. And I get that no one is totally sure about what happened. Yeah. Exactly. All they know is Reagan's not possessed anymore. And Karis jumped out a window. (laughs) So totally, you know, I get that maybe they wanted to establish that doubt. Yeah. Among the characters. But uh, a lot of stuff happens off page. In this book. Yeah. A lot of it does. Yeah. And I wish it didn't. I kind of like that we get to see in the movie when he says, take me. And you can see it because like his eyes get all like crazy Mm -hmm. and he becomes like gross looking. And you're like, oh, the demon's in him. And he like lunges towards Reagan, who is now screaming on the ground in her normal voice. And his hands are outstretched towards her like he's going to kill her. Yeah. And then he has this moment where he's like, no. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And then instead he like he's like frantic and then he just jumps out the window. So it's it's like definitely a choice that he makes to, you know, not succumb to this demon and to end his misery once and for all, I guess. Yeah, he makes a very Christ-like sacrifice yeah. to end all of this. And it's it's a very effective ending to it this is. story, I think. Yeah. It's very sad 
because Karis was I enjoyed him as a character. Yeah. And it's kind of sad that his whole struggle ends with his death. Yeah. Because it's like, can can someone not be redeemed without dying? Like, you know. Yeah. I mean, not that he needed redeemed exactly. No. Like, he didn't really do anything wrong. In fact, he's like a really good guy throughout the story, despite his kind of inner desire to not help people. Yeah. Like, he kind of is always like begrudgingly helping people, but he still does that. Yeah. So, and in the book, we get a little bit more, in the movie, he's, like, face down dying. Yeah. And his friend, Dyer. Yeah, Father Dyer. Father Dyer shows up to, what's that called? Your Your last last rites. Your last rites to, you know, give him his last rites and everything. In the book, he's face up, and Mm -hmm. it seems to have kind of a look of peace about him. Yeah. So you're a little more reassured that he's cool with everything that happened. I think maybe they were questioning, like, if his, he was face up, would he still have the demon face? Or would he have mm. his regular face? Would that imply that the demon was still in him when he died? Or... Uh, yeah. Because in the book, we're kind of told, you know, Karis asks Marin before he croaked. Yeah. He's like, what if we do exercise the demon, what's to stop it from just repossessing Reagan later? Yeah. And he's like, honestly, I don't know, but it never happens. Hmm. He's like, once we get rid of the demon, it just kind of doesn't go back to that person. Yeah. So we get an explanation in the book why we're okay now. Yeah. <laughs> we're safe now. But in the movie, I can understand like if people saw his normal face, they might be like, where's the demon? Like, yeah, what's is it back happen? in Reagan? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's an interesting point, though. I didn't consider that. Yeah. In both versions, though, um, Father Dyer gets to do this last confession, last rites for um, Father Karras before he passes away. Yeah, and then we cut to epilogue. They are getting the fuck out of that house. Yeah, Chris is like, okay, we're leaving. Like, <laughs> this was enough. Apparently, Reagan doesn't remember anything. Um, but she's probably like sick as shit because she wasn't eating anything for like two weeks. Yeah. She was in horrible. Like she was on death's door. Yeah. So not really (laughs) sure what happened there. Yeah. But she seems okay. (laughs) I mean, she doesn't look great. Even in the movie, her face, like you can tell that she doesn't look that great. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's intentional. Like she's been through some stuff, um, but at least she doesn't remember it. Um, her mom won't come near her now, but... Oh, my God. I can't even imagine what Chris is like now. Yeah. Although, in the book and in the movie, she's very clear that she knows that the person that is pretending to be Regan is not Regan. She's like, sure. I can tell it's not yeah. my daughter. So, I mean, I think hopefully... Hopefully she just Hopefully gets over it. both of them will not be scarred for the rest of their lives <laughs> forever. That's... That's the ideal situation. But yeah, so that's that's the end of the story. Um, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's uh which one's better? This is very tough for me. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm also not sure. Um but that's not going to stop me from naming one. <laughs> <laughs> it never does. It never does. It never stops us. Um I have problems with some aspects of the book. Yeah. Um Namely, what we talked about earlier in the, like, sexual violence against minors thing. Yeah. I mean, it's in both of them. So I don't think I can criticize the book without criticizing the movie. But there is this kind of, like, preoccupation with, like, sexual deviancy in the book Mm -hmm. that I thought was, like, 
a lot more, a lot more of that was going on than in the movie. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. That there, was like much more of a focus. Yeah. Because there's, you know, there's also these like desecrations that are going on at the nearby church and they, they kind of link them. Like maybe Reagan was doing this or the demon was somehow doing this. Um, but the detective is like investigating all this stuff and they go into like all this stuff about black mass. Yeah. Which is like what people who like worship Satan and like demons do. And it's basically just like a twisted version of like religious stuff. And it involves like sexual perversions, like basically any gross thing you can think of involving like church stuff. Um, and I like did not like to read about this either. No, it was really weird. And the preoccupation on it almost felt kind of like, is this not like it's sexy, but it's almost like it's titillating in a way. Yeah. Well, and, and it's also, um, fusing a lot of healthy sexual acts with a lot of, um, less healthy ones. (laughs) So it's kind of like, oh, two men having sex is equal to bestiality um, bestiality or people eating shit off of each other. Yeah. And you know what I mean? It's kind of really like, yeah. Fusing a lot of things that, you know, and it's like, it's all Satanism. Yeah. And you're like, uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's a little, um, a little problematic, a little tough. The book also just kind of goes on a lot. It goes on a lot about psychology, and, you know, explaining how maybe this possession is just a psychological disorder and really focuses a lot on that, which I like in theory. And, you know, it, it's the way it ties into the themes about like belief. Yeah. That like, you know, not only belief in God, but, you know, in terms of this being a possible psychological disorder, just the human mind believing what it can do and doing these crazy things Mm -hmm. because the person believes they can do these things. They can like read minds and how much we don't understand about even our own human minds. Yeah. So the power of belief is a really interesting theme that the book tackles a lot better than the movie, Mm -hmm. but also gets into it a little too much. Gets in the weeds a lot. It does. It's a long book. Like it's 400 pages and quite a bit of that is just, talking to doctors and then doing this thing. You know what I mean? Like not a lot of it is like the demon and the exorcism. I have a feeling that the author did a lot of research for this book on exorcisms and he wanted to include a lot of that stuff because they're constantly saying, well, there was also a case in, um, Mm -hmm. in Spain in 1852 where a man did something or other. Well, and supposedly this is based on a semi true account of, an exorcism being done on a young boy in like the 1940s. And um, since then, some people have been like, yeah, this was just like a kid being like, I'm possessed, Mm. you know? Um, But the exorcism, the exorcism at least did happen. Like his parents got a priest to do this. Interesting. Um, But I find the fact that he changed the story from like, I think it was like a 14 or 15 year old boy to a 12 year old girl inflicting sexual violence on herself and like saying these very vulgar things to be very questionable. Yeah, I I struggle with this a lot because on one hand, you know, assuming this is a demon from hell who is like, yeah, 
pure evil incarnate. Um, it is believable that a demon would behave in these in like the most extreme ways you could oh, possibly yeah. think of. Yeah. And it is convincing in that way. You're like, wow, this is very disturbing. I, I, I kind of believe this. You know what I mean? Yeah. But on the other hand, that doesn't make it any easier to read or make me want to read that anymore. And I think you get to the idea of like, what would be the most disturbing thing um, for a child? Something that we think of as innocent to be possessed. Like, yes, yeah. a young child to be possessed. That would be the most disturbing. Also, let's make it a girl because we think of women as pure and innocent especially young girls. And so that'll make it even more disturbing. And then this is that idea that I really get annoyed with, with like women in pain, women being mm -hmm. hurt as like entertainment and yeah. driving the story and as plot. And I'm like, can we just stop? Yeah. <laughs> I also think it's kind of connecting like another trope with like women being more in touch with like, like the spiritual, the spiritual and the yeah. earth. And I think that's why they also are used a lot. Cause cause I would, in what exorcism movie is a man. Possessed? Exactly. And I would love like some kind of researched paper or video essay. Uh, maybe we, we should pitch this. To, yeah, we should. Um, Pop culture. Pop culture detective. detective. Yeah. But like, why is it always women who are possessed? What does that say about our views of women mm -hmm. as a society and in pop culture? And I think historically, too, when exorcisms were used back when they were actually used on people that had mental illnesses, this was used a lot on women. Mm -hmm. uh, I think women more than men. So, yeah, that's interesting. So where does this leave us in terms of our... Oh, yeah, we were deciding, weren't we? <laughs> I think I'll go with the movie slightly. Mm -hmm. I think because it is very iconic and well-made in many ways, despite its problems in editing and plot structure. Um, it took less time for me to finish, and yeah. I didn't have to read about uh, disturbing scenes. <sighs> this is a very well-made movie. And I like a lot of the way it's filmed. And the exorcism scene in particular has a lot of great imagery. Yeah, it's very A lot good. of iconic moments. The ending is handled pretty well. The whole movie's handled pretty well. But for me, the most interesting themes about it weren't even really touched too much mm -hmm. in the movie. You know, like they discussed like, oh, it could be psychological. Yeah. And yeah, that was a question, but it never really felt like the focal point, mm -hmm. which I thought was the most interesting in a way. So I'm actually, I might go with the book. Wow. We're disagreeing. I know. When was the last time we disagreed? I cannot remember. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Because I don't know, the largest middle part of this story, yeah. of this movie, I'm kind of ambivalent towards. Mm -hmm. Like, I... Of course, I love the Iraq opening <laughs> and the ending is and the ending is very good. Yeah. Um, but overall, I'm like and I didn't think any of the characters were handled all that well or were mm. characters much even. Yeah. The book actually thought most of the characters were pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, except for it's way, the way it like dropped off Chris kind of. Yeah. Especially and Sharon. Mm hmm. Yeah, so I don't know, but 
It's a tough decision. It is. It's very, it's kind of a flip of a coin, but I'm going to go with the book this time around. That's how I feel cool. in, the, in the moment. I'm movie, your book. Yeah. Wow. How are we ever going to get along? <laughs> lightning round? Lightning round. Okay. So first for lightning round. Something we just realized, like literally just now. So I was going to bring up this really random encounter that happened in the book where this other priest shows up to Karis and he ends up being a not a ghost but like a dream yeah he also so that guy was smoking a cigarette Uh and then he finds that kind of cigarette in an ashtray so it's really weird yeah and he kind of just tells he first of all implies that karis might be the one who was uh desecrating the church yeah because he's also like emotionally kind of unstable and then as he's leaving the dream basically he warns karis beware of sharon yeah and i was like oh, what's going to happen? Weird. And then literally nothing happens with Sharon. <laughs> nothing. Nothing happens So I Sharon. was going to bring that up to Adina. And yeah. I was like, oh, let's talk about that thing with Sharon that never happened. And Adina was like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> He's like, you know that scene with Karis and the priest? I'm like, no. <laughs> so we literally opened our books and found this extra scene in Ian's copy of the book, which is the 40th anniversary edition. Yeah. And it doesn't say anywhere on the book that it's expanded in any way. I was kind of freaked out because I'm like, <laughs> remember the part with that ghost priest? And you're like, no, it doesn't exist. <laughs> you're like, oh, my God. Ah! <laughs> but it's just added in the 40th anniversary one. Super weird. I don't know if anything else was added to this edition. It doesn't say yeah. on the book. I guess we'll never know. So who knows? <laughs> but that was that was a time. What a time. What a time. Uh, so <laughs> at that party that Chris throws. Yeah. In, in the book and in the movie. Um, this is the scene where Reagan comes downstairs and pees on the floor. They have an astronaut that's visiting for this party. And she just goes right up to the astronaut. And in this like creepy voice tells him, you're going to die up there. And then pees all over the floor (laughs) and like they talk about the astronaut being like kind of shaken by this and like very disturbed and then they never mention it again no one knows what happened what happened to the astronaut did he die up there was she like knowing the future because she was possessed by a demon or was the demon just trying to fuck with this guy maybe that was like that should have been the last line of the book yeah it's like also, that astronaut died. <laughs> or like maybe he can never go up into space mm. after this because of what happened. He's and like afraid. he's disturbed. But they never come back to it. And I was like, what happened with him? Do you think they implied him being an astronaut enough in the movie for people to understand? No. I didn't think so either. No. I had no like if I hadn't have read the book, I would have had no idea. It's just like one overheard line of him talking about space stuff yeah. at the party, but like I don't know if that would have been clear to anyone. No. But um, there's a lot of shit that happened during the making of this movie. This is one of those movie sets that had a lot of like lore kind of surrounding yeah. it. And it's kind of like no one incident was crazy enough to mention. But suffice it to say, the director was kind of a dick. He also made the French connection. Mm. So he has experience. But um, yeah, so he uh, kind of was like violent with his uh, cast. So... At one point when Chris gets slapped and gets flung backwards, mm-hmm. her cry or her outcry when that happens was real because the harness whipped her back way too fast. Ugh. Same with when 
Reagan is flipping forward and backwards in the bed violently. Yeah. Like, that was real. Oh. And she was, like, actually, like, screaming, screaming oh my God. for it to stop. Oh, my God. Uh, also, the director shot a gun on set to get the actual startled reaction oh my God. from the actors. So there was just, like, a lot that happened. Yeah. Uh, I heard that the one of the sets burned down. Ooh, I didn't read that. Yeah, it was like the set of um, the house at one point, and then they brought like a priest on set to like bless it. I did read that that they yeah. like brought a priest in, probably just to bless everything because they're I think like to make people less stressed, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so probably, if you're interested in it, there's definitely a lot to read about it. I would say do it. Yeah, I think there's like a documentary on the making of it, actually. Probably. Uh, so uh, last thing for lightning round, I just want to mention. Uh, we talked about how they're always talking about Father Karras as like a sexy priest and like a brooding priest. Yeah. Um, and in the book, they talk about his muscles at the specific point. So I'm just going to read you a couple uh, lines from it. Powerful leg muscles, blooded and stinging, rippling with a long <laughs> and leonine grace. Karras thumped around a turn. So he's running. And then skip down a couple paragraphs. Um, the priest accelerated, digging at the final lap with pounding strides that jarred the earth. Then he slowed to a panting, gulping walk as he passed the bench. Both hands pressed tight to his throbbing sides. <laughs> the heave of his rock-muscled chest and shoulders stretched his t-shirt. That, that's excessive. <laughs> Whew. Whew. It's steamy getting, in here now. Getting warm. <laughs> Sexy priest. Yeah, it's so funny how out of their way, out of how far out of his way the author goes a points to like really describe how yeah. attractive he is and not like other priests. Yeah. As, as you put it earlier. <laughs> um, that's it, right? Yeah. Those are, that's our lightning round. Lightning round. So something that we talked about doing was because we did pet cemetery last week and we did this, uh, this episode, last episode we did pet cemetery. <laughs> I, I always say week. Yeah. Last episode, we did Pet Cemetery. <laughs> this episode, we did Exorcist. And we thought, let's rank all four, both movies and both books, and talk about on a, like where they fall in order of scaring us and how scary they were. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say that I think the books for these two might be pretty closely tied. Yeah. Um, I might rank Pet Cemetery a little scarier. Okay. Then um, the Exorcist book, and then I would go the Exorcist movie, and then Pet Cemetery movie at the bottom. Yeah. So, what? Wh which one's below which in the movies? I'm curious. Oh, Pet Cemetery is at Pet Cemetery. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that is true for me as well. Yeah. Pet Cemetery is the least scary. It's not scary. Then followed by the movie The Exorcist. Mm -hmm. So both those at the bottom. Then I also struggled with this. Because I already read Pet Cemetery, That's so true. I kind of was aware of some of the creepiness and some of the things that happened. But I think that probably still gave me more chills than The Exorcist. Yeah. I think. The Exorcist did was... It was scary. It was scary and creepy at points. Yeah. But also these talk of psychology mm -hmm. um, kind of watered that down a little bit. It <laughs> takes the scary away. And honestly, the scariest part of Pet Cemetery was the one part about him trying to find a light switch in a garage. Oh, yeah. And it was dark. It was terrifying. Like, it was horrifying. <laughs> and the fact that that was so horrifying, I think, makes it the winner in this competition. Definitely. I love how we both put the books at the top, though. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, neither movie. And I mean, these movies were made in the 70s. Yeah, so that definitely adds to it. It but. does. So that that is a factor. But... Yeah, that's their order. Our ranking of scary. Our spoopy ranking. <laughs> our <for> spoopy meter. <laughs> <laughs> How many spoops did this get? <laughs> so yeah, for, Hall- for Halloween 2018. Happy Halloween, guys. Hope you enjoyed our uh, couple episodes here on our spooky theme. Um, if you'd like, you can follow us on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram. You can also email us at coveredcreditspod at gmail.com. Please send us recommendations or um, thoughts you have on any of the episodes we've done. We Mm -hmm. love getting emails and hearing from people and knowing who's out there listening. And we always love doing recommendations, like I said. Mm -hmm. Also, leave us an iTunes review if you can or on whatever platform you listen to us on. That'd be awesome. Always appreciated and it helps with our rankings. And we'll see you next episode. Next episode. See, I already fucked it up. So (laughs) I got it it right this time. You got it right that time. Next episode. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye.